Veritas Church, good morning. Good morning, man. Just, just like Dalton was just praying, um, this is the greatest news that we have and, and to celebrate it. I, I hope that song that we just got done singing is, is that, is a celebration for you and you're glad to be here in God's presence and in the presence of his people. Um, if we've not met, my name is Jeff and uh, I just feel like it's such a privilege to be the one to be able to bring this word to you guys this morning, and especially some of you college students coming to town, maybe some of you for the first time or you're returning back home. Uh, every time we come around a, a fall and university beginning, I remember my own story because it was when I went to the university and was a freshman there that God encountered me, that I finally had like the, the blinders taken off and I realized who God was through Jesus Christ changed my life changed everything about my life, my eternal destiny. And uh, so I am glad to be part of a church that welcomes university students and welcomes them into the, the greatest story on the planet. So um, guys, today, if you have your Bible, we're going to be at, in the last chapter of Matthew. So some of you have been part of Veritas and know that we've been going through the book of Matthew. This is actually the day we complete the journey through Matthew. So we've been at it for almost an entire year. All, almost rolling around to a whole year in Matthew. Today we cap it off, concluding um, the part of the story of Jesus that actually sets his story above all stories. Okay, so Matthew 28, man, brings us to that, that epic part of Jesus' story that sets it apart. So as I was thinking about it, I was like, honestly, like, like Ryan was talking about earlier, getting more and more almost giddy with excitement to talk about this because the word, well, the words just kept coming to mind. I thought about how extraordinary it was. And then I'm kind of a word geek, uh, a lot of nerd going on inside my head. And so I thought extraordinary. Yeah. The word extraordinary, extraordinary, right? Oh, there's something unique. Um, extraordinary, beyond ordinary, like way beyond, or it's supernatural. You think about the word supernatural. So beyond natural, this we're talking about something that goes way beyond the bounds of what is natural. This is a supernatural, extraordinary event. And then this other word came to mind, fantastical, okay? I don't know why that word came to mind. Kind of a weird word, fantastical. And then I thought, I'm not even sure what that means. So I went to my favorite website, truly geeking out. Favorite website is dictionary.com. And... Um, it is a little bit embarrassing. If you search my history, you actually find more hits at dictionary.com than anything else. But here's what I found out. This word is perfect. Here's what it means. Conceived by an unrestrained imagination. Extravagantly fanciful. Highly unrealistic. Outlandish. These are all like the definitions for that word fantastical. So I want you to know what we're about to read in Matthew 28 is extraordinary, supernatural. It is every bit of fantastical and 100% true. It is not fantasy. It's not myth. It's not just a great story. It's extraordinary, supernatural, fantastical, and 100% true. Guys, Christians are people who believe Matthew 28 so emphatically, so strongly that it changes our lives and through Christians' lives changes the world. That's what I'm telling you. It is so extraordinary and yet so true that it absolutely changes everything about us and everything about our world. So 
Um, I was listening to Mikey's podcast. I don't know if you guys have gotten into it yet. It's a great podcast, the Grain of Salt podcast. So this last week, Mikey was actually interviewing Ryan that was just up here. And they were talking about just one chapter. They just sat down and had a chat about one chapter out of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Now, it's almost like the groan effect, another C.S. Lewis quote, right? Like, is, is there anybody else out there that you guys can quote? So, I know it's expected, but they were talking about this one chapter, and it just brought back to mind all the incredible things in that chapter on hope. Listen to this. They, they talked about this one, and this, this really sets the stage for what we're about to read, okay? Because here's, again, guys, Christians believe this stuff so strongly. Like, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we're about to read about is so true that if believed, it has to change everything. And not just for someday down the road. It has to change everything right here, right now. So as they talked about this, I just wanted to read it out for you. One of the things, that, one of the parts that they talked about in the podcast. Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal, to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism, wishful thinking. No, it's one of the things that a Christian is meant to do. Okay, now I want you to listen to this. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. Look, if you read history, you're going to find that the Christians who did most for the present world were exactly those who thought most about the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Wow. So they talked about that in the podcast. It caught my attention and I thought, man, that is exactly what we need to hear as we enter into Matthew 28. So we're going to read Matthew 28 together. Um, if you will stand with me, I'd like to read it for us together. Give all of our attention to what this text says. If you are newer to Veritas and maybe you don't have a Bible, we've got some of these available out there at the, at the little booth out there. Um, I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. So if you're using an app and want to follow along, it's the CSB that I'm going to be reading from. I'm also going to put on my old man reading glasses so as to prove it was a really long time ago that I went to the university. Anyway, Matthew 28, phenomenal closure to this book. After Sabbath on the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified and he's not here. For he is risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go, quickly, tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Listen, I've told you. So 
departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They ran to tell the disciples the news. And just then, Jesus met them and said, greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet, worshiped him. Then Jesus told them, don't, don't be afraid. Go, t- tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they'll, they'll see me there. As they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported the chief priests everything that had happened. And after the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, say this, his disciples came during the night, stole him while we were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, we'll deal with him and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been spread among Jewish people to this day. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. But Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So God, we stand here right now and your word has come to us. It is powerful. It is every bit of extraordinary. And now we want to lean in, Lord. We want you to teach us. We, we want to be guided into all truth by your Holy Spirit. Because we don't quickly get all the, all the depth of meaning. We don't quickly understand how revolutionary this is. We need your Holy Spirit to like soften our hearts, to, to tune our ears in. Because we need this so desperately, Lord. So we're asking for your help and your guidance. Would you lead us and guide us and teach us and change our lives, Lord? That's our request in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to look at this, tear it apart. There's actually three kind of chapters to this last chapter, three episodes. So there's the reveal, and, and then there's the lie concocted, and then there's the implications of all this. Okay, so we're going to look at the reveal, and then there's this lie in the middle, and then the implications. So first of all, look at the reveal. Look at that first verse of chapter 28, you guys. It is so epic, so like almost understated, so as to be poetic, when it starts after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, I mean, just like dot, dot, dot. Just get captured in what Matthew is doing as he starts revealing this story. Guys, it has been a dark story this last couple chapters. If you've been coming to Veritas, you've been through the last couple chapters, in fact, the last few, just dark, foreboding, all about the crucifixion, the plot, the betrayal, all the way climaxing in the actual crucifixion, which was just brutal. And so we've just been bogged down in this dark. It's like a cloud has just been over the whole narrative of Jesus as he goes to the cross and is put into a tomb. Very tragic, right? And then you turn the page to chapter 28 and all of a sudden there it is, a new day. Like no longer the Sabbath. There's a first day of the week and day is dawning. The sun is coming out. It's like the cloud is being lifted. Like there's a whole new part of this story that we're about to see. In fact, guys, the reason that we're gathered as God's people on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, 
instead of on Sabbath, the last day of the week, is because of this very thing right here. Day dawns on the first day of the week. It changes everything. It even changes the day that his people worship. We worship on the first day of the week because something extraordinary happened on the first day of the week as day is dawning. And I want you to note, don't take this for granted. Who are the very first people on the scene? Who are the very first witnesses? Women. Women. Okay. That might not seem that like shocking or extraordinary to a modern day reader. It is over the top extraordinary for this story. And here's why. If you were back in the first century Roman world, anywhere in the Roman Empire, anywhere in the Mediterranean era, okay, area, you would have known that, that there was a low regard for women's testimony, okay? I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying that's what was true historically. If you look at, back at Philo and, and all the different ancient historians, you will read about uh, rarely in any kind of court of law were, were women brought in to give testimony. They were seen as gullible, they were seen as untrustworthy, right? And so here's what I'm saying. God turns that little narrative about women upside down and has them first on the scene. And they are actually the witnesses that are going to go and convince the rest of the disciples. Okay, all four, So the, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different gospels, four different vantage points as to what's going on. All of them bring up the fact that women are the first ones on the scene. All of them wanting to draw attention to the fact that Jesus chooses an audience of women to be the ones to come. And it puts them front and center, right? So there they are. The women are there. They're the first ones to have this encounter. And who do they encounter? It's, it's like if you're watching a movie and the movie, like the shot goes from these women on their way to then this angel. And this angel is just really incredible. Like let... Let Matthew paint the scene, right? He descends from heaven with this earthquake. It's almost like did the earth shake at just the presence of this heavenly celestial being like landing, you know, like, and just everything kind of starts shaking, right? Because he's unbelievable. He approaches the tomb, and I don't know if he even used his hand. I don't know what he did, but this massive stone, so a first century Palestinian grave would have had this massive boulder stone that was just kind of propped up like, uphill so that when the time for burial came, you'd kind of just unprop it and it would just roll and just jar, like lock into place. So this angel just boom, lands on the ground and then just like rolls this thing uphill single-handedly and then just sits on it, like keeping it in place, (laughs) defying gravity, keeping it in place by the sheer presence of who he is, right? And so you come upon him and he's dazzling white and there's been an earthquake and all this and he's just kind of sitting there in total control right unbelievable moment right so powerful in control fantastical supernatural in every bit okay and what are the guards doing guys these guys are freaked out understandably freaked out but don't imagine a bunch of wimpy guys like oh These guys, Roman guards, are the most highly trained brute force on the planet. By any scale in ancient history, the Romans 
are, are the strongest, most courageous. These guys have faced unbelievable odds, unbelievable enemies, unmoved, unfazed, pushing forward, taking over the world. These guys would have been the seals of that army to go and guard this particular place. And what is happening in front of their eyes is so over the top and so frightening to them that they're just standing there freaking out, right? I mean, it's crazy. And the angel turns to the women with all this going on and just says, oh, don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be afraid. Oh, I don't know. Why would we be afraid? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Yeah. They're so he's like, hey, don't be afraid. But then he looks at the guards like, boo. You know, whatever, like, yeah, you be afraid. You should be. But you guys, you know, don't be afraid. In fact, you're going to be the first messengers. I'm entrusting you with the most unbelievable message. He's risen. Go tell his disciples. His disciples are cowering in fear right now because they all, they all abandoned Jesus right when the crucifixion was happening. They're, they're overcome with grief and fear and guilt and shame. They're, they're kind of in hiding. You've you got to go get them. You've got to go get them and tell them the incredible news. Go tell his disciples he's risen, right? So they're like on it. So they start going and who they encounter? Jesus. Jesus like intercepts them on their way. And, and so they get the first resurrection appearance. The women get the very first resurrection appearance of Jesus. And he stops them. And I love this. Greetings. Like, again, the understatement of this. And, and greeting, this word for greetings is like, we get, we get the word grace from, from this same word. It's like he's saying, joy, have joy, have happiness. I, I want to pour grace on you. I want to pour happiness on you. I want to pour joy on you. Like, just imagine the risen Jesus with like this beaming smile on his face. Don't be afraid, you guys. Sharing my joy. Be, be happy right now for everything that's going on. And then again, go. I'm sending you on a mission. Go. Go tell my disciples. This, this whole theme of go is going to come back again. But go, go, go. Okay. Got to worship him. Got to see him. Sweet. Now go. Get, you, you got a work to do, right? Go. So sends him on. That's the reveal. This extraordinary thing that Jesus has risen from the grave. And we saw it in all of its bloody detail before. And so it is extraordinary that he is suddenly fully alive and talking to his friends. And then you get the lie, starting in verse 11. So apparently after the, you know, women take off and all this, a couple of the guards kind of are like, we got to go tell somebody and, and take off into town. So that's, that's where this whole lie gets concocted. And I just got to ask you guys, at some point, like even if you are one of the most hard-hearted of these religious leaders, these chief priests and stuff, did nobody ever stop and be like, wait now, hold on. You think there's any chance this is true? <laughs> right? Like they've been fighting against this thing so much. Now these Roman guards, everybody knows their reputation of Roman guards. Everybody's afraid of the powerful Roman guards. And they're running into town like scared little schoolgirls, right? And, and, you know, crying and, ah, you know, whatever. You, I wonder if something actually happened out there, right? Did nobody ever just hit pause and say, man, I wonder. No, guys, the answer, no, they didn't. 
they were in an absolutely settled position of refusing to believe, okay? They are absolutely in a settled position, I am not going to believe. You can stack up the evidence all day long. You can send Roman soldiers even to tell me that there's an empty tomb. Tell me about angels. Tell me about, I won't believe it. I refuse to believe it. I'm not going to go look. I'm not going to listen. No. And I I just, guys, I just want to hit pause on that for a moment to be able to say, we have to be so careful of getting into these settled places of unbelief. Because honestly, we're somewhat hardwired to have evidence stacked up against, you know, in front of us and to just not believe. This happens all the time among our people. I, I don't care what you say, I don't believe it. I want to give you a couple examples, okay? The moon landing. <laughs> okay, the moon landing. If there's anybody in here that wants to take me on on this, please don't, because I don't want to talk to you about this. <laughs> Guys, we landed on the moon, but there are people all over the place that, no, we didn't. No, no actually, we have footage. I know, I don't believe it. Do you know how many people would have had to be in on the plot to convince us that there wasn't a moon landing that happened in some soundstage in Hollywood? Yeah, no, I don't believe it. No, seriously, this is crazy. You can see the flag. No, I don't believe it. Like, just, it doesn't matter what evidence you would stack up. No, I don't believe it. Elvis didn't die. What? What do you mean he didn't? No, he didn't die. He's 83 right now. I saw him in the Ped Mall. Or whatever, you know, like... I've been to Vegas. They're all over the place. Whatever it is, like, no, Elvis didn't die. No, we, a coroner and witnesses and family. No, I don't believe it. He didn't die. I just saw him. What, you're like, Anton LaVey was on the Eagles Hotel California album. <laughs> no, he wasn't. No, it's not true. The Satanist was not on the Eagles album. It doesn't matter. Just all these things that people are like, no, totally was. I don't care what you say. Listen of far more consequence is in this settled position where you're saying, no, Jesus didn't raise from the dead. No, it's a myth. Look, be wrong about the moon landing, okay? If all of a sudden we came up with a telescope where you could actually look, 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 and and actually see the flag yourself and be like, oh yeah, I guess I was wrong. Oh well, you'd go through the rest of your life like whatever. If you're wrong and Jesus Christ actually Raised from the dead, it costs you everything. It costs you everything. Who cares if you're wrong about Elvis, right? You can't be wrong about this. This changes everything, you guys. Wrong about Jesus and nothing else matters. Jesus Christ rose from the grave, concoct whatever lie, believe whatever fanciful, you know, explaining away you want. Jesus Christ rose from the grave and nothing else matters. And here's the implications. Here's, here's how he lands on the implications. The 11 disciples, I'm, I'm now down in verse 16. 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. Now that's really cool, guys. Right at that point, the last, when he told them to go to Galilee, here's what had happened back in chapter 26. They were all 
being stunned at the fact that these unfolding events were about to happen. He was about to be crucified. And they're all saying, I'll stand by you. I'll stand by you. And Jesus said, no, you won't. You're all going to scatter. You're all, you're all going to leave me. And they're like, no, no, tell me it's not true. He's like, no, you're all going to leave me. But listen, I know you're weak. I know you're cowardly. Listen, when all this is said and done, meet me in Galilee. Like looking right past their fears, right past their doubts, right past their, you know, false ideas about their own courage. No, you're not going to. You really are weak. You really are down. But that's okay. Meet me in Galilee. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I love Brian pointed that out a couple of weeks ago. So here they are now. They, did, they, they got to Galilee. Jesus had directed them. When it's all said and done, come, meet me in Galilee. And when they saw him, they worshiped. But some doubted. <laughs> I actually... I'm encouraged by that. It wasn't like, this is so outrageous in their minds. They're like, even though they'd heard it, Jesus had told them, prepared them, still they're like, is this really, can this really be true, right? And so they're coming in to this moment with some doubt. And Matthew's not pulling any punches. Yeah, this is, this is what the disciples brought to the table. <laughs> they came in and they're worshiping him, but some are like, what? My mind is blown right now. And Jesus came near and said to them, Listen, it doesn't matter how weak you are because here's the deal. All authority has been given to me. Because <laughs> this isn't about how courageous you are, how rock solid you are in your belief. In faith. This is about me and all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is it. I've conquered everything that could hold me down. I mean, this is the fulfillment from all the way the opening pages of our Bibles where after we blow it in our sin, God promises humanity, a deliverer that will come and just crush the enemy under his foot. Even death itself would be crushed by this coming Messiah, this coming deliverer. And Jesus is like, well, I just crushed death. There's no more sting in death or the grave. Here I am. I beat death itself. All authority on the earth, over the earth, heaven and earth, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore. <laughs> Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them. So baptizing them and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So he gathers his weak, timid, doubting <laughs> disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations call people from darkness into light, call them from wherever they're at in their doubts, in their fears, in their cowardice, call them to me. Call them out. And as they have their eyes awake, as they realize, oh, it's all about Jesus and him dying for me and then raising again, and as the awareness hits them and the blinders are taken off, baptize them. The way that you will demonstrate that, yes, I believe that, I don't care what else other people think, I don't care what other doubts people have, no, I believe once you get to that point of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, get baptized. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptize them and then teach them everything because they've got a lot to learn. <laughs> we've, we've learned all the wrong stuff for many years. We've got to start learning the right stuff. We've got to get rid of the bad stuff, learn the right stuff. We've got to learn everything that God has for us. So be baptized and then be discipled. This, this idea of coming to Christ with nothing but our cowardice and our doubts, receiving salvation, and then having it change us and the world, 
takes over every page of the rest of our Bibles from this point on, okay? I want you to take a look, and I'll have it on the screens actually for you, but um, in a few weeks, we're going to start a new series on the book of Titus. It's almost like a postcard compared to Matthew, just this little book of Titus. And I, I want to read for you one part where he recaptures, the Apostle Paul that writes this book recaptures this. It's in chapter 3, and I'll have it on the screens. He says this, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Okay? He saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, <laughs> no, because all I brought was cowardice and unbelief. No, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And that washing is why we get baptized. It's like we're, we're showing outwardly what's happened in our souls. He washed us. He cleanses us. He poured His Spirit out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that... Having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. You guys, the hope of eternal life. Remember how we started? Our, our gaze is fixed now on eternal life. We've got hope because I, I, I'm saved. I understand. And now I've been justified and my hope is on eternal life. And then he says this. This saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. Here's, if your life, if your soul has really been changed, if you've really been washed, if you've really had your mind open, if you really believe, it changes everything. So now you've got to be careful to learn everything. Learn how to devote yourselves to a whole different path. Begin to learn everything that we need to know about Christ, about the new life. And so I'm saying... If you believe, guys, if you're here this morning, you're saying, I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the resurrection. Then first of all, be baptized. <laughs> it's, very, it's so crystal clear. Be baptized. Demonstrate. I get it. I have been washed. I've been cleansed. And I'm going to show that outwardly. I want to be baptized. And then next, I want to be discipled. I want to begin to learn. I got to get in contact with other people. I got to get into a connection group. I got to get around people who are going to help me to learn to obey all things because I've disobeyed a lot of things. I need to learn to, to obey everything that, that Jesus has brought. Guys, the very last implication, and then we're going to celebrate it with the Lord's table. The very last implication is, guys, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, there's hope for us beyond the grave. Guys, man, yeah, we got to get baptized. we got to get into a connection group, discipleship group. we got to learn all things. Yes, but don't miss the monumental, like right in front of us aspect of this whole thing. There's hope beyond the grave. I want to show you a picture of perhaps the most beautiful girl on the planet, her name is Lakeisha, um, five-year-old daughter of my friend Chapo, uh, who lives in Zambia. And a couple weeks ago, let me back up, a couple months ago, Lakeisha, in a kind of a tragic accident, pulled a pot of boiling water onto herself. And so this beautiful, beautiful little five-year-old became pretty disfigured and was really in, in peril. But things started looking really good, and, and the infections started to go away. And then tragically, a couple weeks ago, the infections 
took over and she went to be with Jesus. So as I've communicated back and forth with Chapo over a hemisphere, and what keeps Chapo this semester still pressing on to win university students at the University of Zambia in Lusaka? What keeps Chapo and Sarah grieving and yet hopeful that one day not only is Lakeisha going to be fully healed and dancing around, but they're going to be joining her one day. What, what allows them to experience grief but see hope somehow through the grief? Matthew 28. Christ conquered the grave. Jesus Christ, not only that conquered the grave for him, he says, if you will follow me, I'm going to conquer the grave for you, and you will be with me forever. <laughs> Is that crazy? Is that extraordinary? Is that supernatural? Yes. And guys, it is 100% true. So our way of celebrating what Jesus Christ has done for us and to re-anchor our souls in this truth of Matthew 28 is that we take communion together. So I'm going to ask the worship team to start making their way up here because they're going to lead us in worship, appropriate worship. Like when every one of the disciples first started seeing Jesus, what'd they do? They fell down and worshiped him. That's what we're about to do. They're going to lead us in worship. And then as we lock into these truths again, as the gospel is pouring out over our souls again, make your way to the tables. They're not just up here. They're in the back. If this is your first time, this is how we do it. We make our way to the tables you'll end up taking a piece of bread and dipping it in, in the juice because here's what's going on. That bread is reminding us that Jesus Christ really died. It's not myth. It's not fantasy. He really died. There was a body. His blood truly poured out a true crucifixion. He died for us by taking the bread and the, and the wine and taking it to ourselves we're reminding ourselves of the reality that Jesus Christ died for us and then conquered the grave, rose again, and he is our risen king. He's our risen king, and we have life, and we have hope because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So will you stand with me? What I want to do is pray, and then as we begin to worship, make your way to the tables. There's, there's even a gluten-free table back by the sound booth back there. We want everybody who knows this story and believes to celebrate his death and resurrection. So Jesus, fantastical, <laughs> beyond imagination, and we believe it. It's true. And we don't want to just confess that with our mouth, we, we don't want to just lock into it somehow in our heads. We want it to change everything about us. And we want to walk through these doors ready to tell everybody that we know that this story is true 
And it doesn't just change our lives, it changes this entire campus at the University of Iowa. It changes this entire city. It changes, my friends, in Zambia. It's going to change the world. And what I love, Lord Jesus, is you have said, look, I know you're cowardly, and I know you're weak, and I know some of you doubt. I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age, through it all, no matter what I call you, I'm going to be with you. And so, Jesus, we claim your presence. We claim your promises And we recalibrate our souls again to celebrate what you have done for us in the cross and in that incredible, astounding resurrection. Hear us, Lord Jesus, as we worship you.